0: Hey there, today we're talking about what it's like to get a DNA surprise in midlife. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your Master Certified Coach, Midlife Mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. Now, today's topic is a pretty heavy one because it often has to do with some level of deception, family secrets, and your identity. And I have to tell you, I've been interested in family trees and genealogy for most of my life. My father was adopted. So with adoptions, sometimes there's secrets and mysteries and things just aren't clear. And in 1992, I took a big step and contacted the adoption agency that placed my father way back in 1935. I didn't get very far, but I did it and I did what I could. And it's been ongoing and I'll talk about that sometime soon. Uh Putting the pieces of my family history puzzle together has been my mission for decades. It became important to me way before Google and Facebook and DNA kits and sites like Ancestry.com and all of those things have made it uh definitely easier today. So to be sure, when your personal identity and family history aren't clear, it can be something in your life that just never feels peaceful, settled, or complete and can have an enormous effect on you throughout your life. And that is what we're talking about today. But just quick, before we get going, I want to invite you to have a breakthrough yourself. Now, I know when you're stuck and in a midlife funk and feeling confused and unclear about what's next, it can be hard to even imagine what might be on the other side. So I want to offer an easy way to start moving in that direction. You can give yourself the jumpstart you need in the form of a breakthrough coaching call. It's a two-hour private coaching call that's basically a deep dive into what's getting in the way of your clarity. We can coach on anything you need to make a breakthrough because, my friend, I have a feeling you're tired of wasting valuable time. Head over to my website at www.suzyrosenstein.com and click on the Coaching and Workshops tab and you'll see the booking link there. And I have a few spots open now and one of them can be yours. Okay, now let's get started with this whole topic of having a DNA surprise in midlife. Imagine my surprise when I heard basically the same DNA surprise kind of story about discovering that the father who raised you wasn't your biological father. I heard it from two different women at, at who didn't know each other within the same week. Just these two stories came into my world. And I have to say, I was so confused. I'm like, was I... Did I imagine this? Did I hear this before? Did we talk about this already? (laughs) Because it's a very unusual thing to hear stories like that in the first place, let alone two in one week. So I knew I needed to hear more and I wanted to invite them both on the podcast. And that's who you're going to meet today, Connie and Judy. And as I mentioned, my two guests today didn't know each other before this interview, but they shared their very personal stories about an intense experience that was similar, but different. Each of my guests found out that the father who raised them was not their biological father. As you can imagine, this is the type of discovery that is life-changing. My guest Connie describes her childhood as always feeling different and never fitting in. She sensed that something didn't make sense in her family, and you will soon hear how all of her puzzle pieces slowly but surely started to make sense. Connie had a full-life career as a teacher in Southern Ontario but made the decision to fulfill her lifelong dream of being a chef when she retired. Connie is now a qualified chef, culinary educator, and host of Farm to Fork on Rogers TV in Canada. She's also a mom and a grandmom and is happy with her lot in life. Judy Ben-Asher is also my guest today. She's an expert in DNA discovery and DNA surprise. She's a certified NLP practitioner, certified in integrative nutrition, five-element theory, and an expert mindset coach. While working on a documentary about healing, Judy discovered that she's not related to the father she had known and was a caretaker of. As a result, she experienced identity-level trauma and has made it her mission to help others navigate the ripple effect this discovery has with more ease, calm, and simplicity. Judy now works with people who have gone through or are going through a DNA discovery so they can manage all of the ins and outs of finding out they are not who they think they are. Judy was recently interviewed by Oprah about their shared experience with DNA discovery and the topic of forgiveness. She's also appeared several times on NPR and has an upcoming podcast, Truth Seeker Healing DNA Discovery, alongside her partner, the 17th Surgeon General of the United States of America, Dr. Richard Carmona, where they discuss DNA discovery and how to navigate getting surprising DNA results. I think you might be surprised about some aspects of these stories. You're gonna learn a lot for sure and also have more perspective if you or someone you know goes through this experience or a similar one. So please enjoy. Hi, ladies. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. Really nice to be here. So grateful to be here. It's so fun to have two people at the same time, and we'll do our best not to talk over each other, but there will be a lot to say. I know that's for sure. So I was very excited to have this conversation with you both and let you share your story because it's becoming more and more common to discover DNA surprises and family secrets in midlife. That's for sure. There's a lot of reasons for that, primarily the rise of ease and Facebook like sites like Ancestry and 23andMe and that sort of thing, and Facebook. And then we've been around for a while in midlife, and we have questions and life experience and all kinds of reasons that we are are often searching. So it was interesting for me this summer as I heard the same kind of story from each of you within a week or so of each other. So that was weird for me, just, you know, going around my life, and then two women come into my life and share these stories. So Judy, I met you in an online coaching community where you told your story, and I immediately sent you a private DM. And it's funny because we can't remember where that was, but we were both there. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. We were both there. And then Connie, we met at a small farmer's market. And as a podcast listener, you knew I would be interested in hearing your news, and I sure was. So so let's start by each of you introducing yourselves, where you live, how old you are and a little bit about how you grew up and then we'll dive in after those intros. So Judy, why don't you start?
1: I am Judy Benasher and I am now 53. I grew up in a in Tucson, Arizona, in a a big loud Jewish household. Um youngest of of five two deaths in there. I'll talk about that later. But youngest of five kids, so big family um everyone knows everyone's business, very tight Jewish community, and so it's been an extra fascinating
0: journey for me. Wow, thank you for that and Connie, how about you?
2: Uh, my name's Connie I am sixty three turning sixty four in a week, and uh, I was raised in southern Ontario, but I always uh tried to get away so uh, I've lived all over the world i've lived uh different continents. And I was uh, semi-raised by uh, my grandparents. They knew that when I retired from my teaching position, that I would bolt and I would make as much distance as I could between my childhood town and where I wanted to live. So uh, I I grew up in a family that um, was very divisive, and uh, I was always a little bit of an outsider. I was always different. And so uh I, I sort of grew up in care of my own problems and uh figure out a way to navigate through all of that.
0: Wow, what you said there that you always thought you were different. Uh Judy, did you have that experience too? A hundred percent.
1: First of all, I look nothing like my siblings. My uh Ooh. I had a brother with blonde hair, blue eyes. I had a sister and he passed. I have a sister with red hair and blue eyes. I have a, another sister with blonde blue eyes. She passed and a brother with brown hair and blue eyes. And I have black hair and green eyes. So <laughs> it was always a joke in our household. Um And my parents had a portrait of us at the front door. And so anyone walking into the house, it's the first comment. Every day, my whole upbringing was uh you know, you must be from the milkman or the police officer, or it was just the, always the joke. And I never thought like they did. I I'm very dyslexic. My siblings are incredibly brilliant and they just can problem solve differently than I can. I'm highly creative and they are more academia, you know, driven. Um just different on every single level. And it was always odd man out. I also problem solved for myself. I love the way she framed that and it's so true for me too. And, um, I was always made to feel odd man out. Hmm. She's interesting being the youngest. I was always, um, you know, not allowed to, to do things. Um, but yeah, always tease endlessly about it. And then, um, uh, my parents also had this weird, uh, birth story for me and none of my other siblings. They had this story about conception. Um, No one else seemed to get, but it was told like at every holiday table, Mm -hmm. it was sort of the running joke. You know, they went to this dude ranch. It was raining. Nine months later, here I am. My mom used an IUD. She had these earrings made. So she wore these bright red corkscrew earrings and it was sort of a ha ha ha, you know, (laughs) she wanted to be here so bad. She even got through the that thing. It's just, you know, it's fascinating. The more people I hear from and talk to, the more of these kinds of stories I'm hearing, which is just interesting.
0: So both of you grew up with a family who didn't say a word about, uh I guess, your situation. In each of your cases, was it an adoption or not? In my
1: case, um. It was, I just am the dirty little secret. I, it was hidden and suppressed and, um, I have family that won't speak to me now because I'm talking about it, which I'm okay with. Um, even though it's hard, there's just, you know, when I went through it in 2019, 26 million people went through it in 20, in 2019, wow. according to MIT. It's a lot of people to have a DNA discovery or a DNA surprise. So I felt like should talk about it. But yeah, um, they never told me. I still don't know if my dad did know or didn't know. And he's not talking.
0: Right. Okay. We'll go more into that in a second. And Connie, how about you? Adoption or not? No,
2: um, my mom had an an affair. And uh, it was, the the curious thing is, it was with uh, my best friend's dad. And so uh, I was raised with uh, going to my best friend's house and seeing like her dad there, and there was never any connection. Never any connection. And uh I, I, I the same thing as with Judy. Uh I don't think the same, I don't look the same. It's a family joke that um they there's a picture of us at Christmas, and everybody says, Where did you come from? You don't look like any of them. The curious thing though is that I do look like my mom's side, so it's not adoption. it was so my mom is my biological mother, but I think my mom was so young, I believe that she did not tell my dad and but to this day, I still don't know if my dad knew and if he accepted it or if he was duped and uh you know, my mom has dementia, so when I talk to her about it she conveniently answers whichever way she's feeling that day. So I'm probably never going to know the truth of that. But uh it was a family joke as well, um, the idea of my birth story. My dad was in the hospital. Remember, this is 1958, so, you know, they're, they're a different time as well. But they, when I would say, where do I come from, they would say, oh, we found you under a rock. And so uh they always had stories about how my brother and sister, you know, how how it all went. And because I was the youngest, I always looked at it, well, maybe I just didn't matter at that point. You know, once you've been through it a couple of times, you know, it just doesn't matter. And um I, I was premature, so I wasn't my dad would often tell me that I wasn't a very nice looking baby. And so yeah, that, that I, I was um a skin rabbit is what he used to call it. Oh my. And, not, and here's the thing. It's not even in a, an abusive way. He would just say it like it was a joke. But uh, that's where they said that where I came from is that I was under a rock.
0: Wow. So I took a a step out of a chronological telling of your stories just for a second. But I did it because I just wanted to clarify this birth story situation. So you both had birth stories, even though you weren't adopted. And I wonder how many people have a birth story when, you know, it's just a plain old birth story. I mean, I definitely tell my kids how long I was in labor, but that's about it.
2: <laughs> well, and I would have that because my mom would tell me about my delivery yeah. and my dad would validate it with saying that, you know, I almost died because I was premature and they would go through that. So it was very believable that they're both there. Hmm. But it wasn't until years later that I started to see differences.
0: And what kind of what kind of differences did you notice? I
2: just um, well, my dad's side treated me like I was the pet cat. Um, I, they wouldn't make eye contact with me, but they really favored my brother and sister. So uh, gifts at Christmas time would not be equal, and attention when when we would have family dinners, was not equal. And again, I just took that as I was this uh, goofy little youngest child that they didn't value or they didn't see as a full human. I always thought it was just because I'm the baby. They just just don't see me.
1: I had the exact same experience, Connie, which is fascinating to me. Um, I was always treated like I was an other. And like I was the neighbor's kid or something. You know, I was the neighbor's kid. I am the neighbor's <laughs> kid also. So it was oh, my parents. Oh my it gosh. was a friend of my parents. And um they had three boys and there were four kids in our family. So we played with them all the time. I, you know, remember being in their pool all summer because we're from Tucson. And, um, you know, so we would be at their house all the time. And their dad was really affectionate and loving and kind with me. And would talk to me like eye level, look me in the eye, have conversations. My dad that raised me never gave me the time of day, um, unless he was yelling at me and, um, or telling me, you know, what I was doing wrong in the moment. So it's, it's really interesting to hear you, you know, you have such a similar story to mine.
2: Yeah. And because, because I don't know if uh, my dad knew or not. There's sometimes when I can think back, and, and you probably do this as well, Judy. You go back, and all of a sudden a memory will trigger, and you'll think, "That's what that
1: was." But yeah, all and day I, every day.
2: Yeah, and and so many things will happen. I think that's why. But I don't know if my dad knew. I if he was duped, and I use that word because he was tricked. If he didn't know, and yeah. if if he was, then it then I think he just. Disliked me for some other reason. If he did know, it's I I understand why he was like that because there would be times when I would, as a teen, we locked horns so many times, and I would say to my dad, "Um, "Why don't you like me?" And he'd say, "You just think you're different than us." And then, as a young twenty, I would say, "Why is it you still don't like me?" And he'd say, "You're not one of us."
1: Fascinating. Yeah, my dad always treated me like an outsider. Um, right. He says that he knew my parents had an affair, but that he didn't know I wasn't his, but he's also a physician and I don't look like anybody. And I believe that he knew, but he could have been lied to. I don't know. And he'll never tell. And my mom has passed and my biological dad has passed. Um, So I'll never also know the truth. And, that's definitely one of the hardest parts of these stories. Not that, not that knowing the truth will make us feel better, but there's something unsettling about the not knowing.
2: Well, Judy, this is where I might differ because I, knowing the truth has made me feel better. And my mom giving me this, this information put the final puzzle piece in place and I felt instant relief. And I felt a weight of not belonging off my shoulders. And I just kept thinking, I would sit beside them and think, as a kid, I would think, I don't belong here. I don't don't belong to these people. And it would just surface and surface. And I would always think, what's wrong with me that I can't let go and be part of them? And then when she told me that, it was a relief.
1: I also had that relief when I found out. I found out accidentally.
0: Um, well, let's I, talk, let's talk about that now. Okay. How did each of you find out? So, uh, Judy, go ahead. What happened? Were you looking? Uh, so you, I was, we were definitely suspicious, both of you for your whole lives.
1: Yeah. But I, it didn't occur to me at all because mm. it had always been just swept so nicely under the rug. Um, it didn't occur to me in any way. And my mom had ovarian cancer and, um, and I was, I'm a filmmaker also amongst other things, and I was doing a documentary on healing and about her, her journey, her cancer journey, and we all did 23 and me for Health History, and in my health history, and that was January 2017. In my health history, no one showed up on my dad's side and only two cousins I knew on my mom's side, so Ooh. I really felt like no one in my family had done the test, um, and I let it go. And then, two years go by, my husband and I are on a road trip. Um, I'm now my dad's caregiver, my dad who raised me is his caregiver, even though I have siblings in the same town, they didn't really want to um you know, I was his caregiver. I'll leave it at you. <laughs> and um and I mentioned this family to my husband that used to live where we lived and then moved away when I was eight and we were passing through their town so i brought it up and i met my husband in fifth grade so he knows just about everybody that i know um but he had never heard this name before and when we got to our destination he pulled up my 23 and me cuz he remembered that name was on there um and and i kind of hunted it down from there and it still took a, a while and then my dad decided to do a dna test um and i and i was not his child and that's sort of how I found out. Uh,
2: yeah. So it sounds like your dad found out then?
1: Well, you know, so as a doctor, you can look at me and look at my siblings. And if you're thinking, right, um, notice that we don't have anything similar in our facial features or any anything. So I think he must have known. But when I when I had to have that conversation with him because he's a doctor and he took a DNA test and he was well aware that he had something coming back. So I had to take him through that and they were married 57 years. So I'm not judging their relationship in any way. A 57 year marriage is an effort, (laughs) you know, every day. And, and I don't judge them for that. You know, I, I'm not trying to um, attack anybody's relationships. I just know that I'm not his child. And I had to tell him. And all he said was, I knew, I knew they had an affair. I didn't know you were my child. Dr. Phil is on and I have to go. And he went and he watched Dr. Phil. And that was the end of that conversation. So,
0: wow. Um, what do you think motivated him to actually take the test? I think he knew.
1: I don't think there was any other reason that he would have done it. I, he had a fall and I think he faced his mortality in that mm-hmm. moment. He hurt himself and he had healed and was home. But you know, I had asked him for two years to take the DNA test because I wanted haplogroup. I just wanted more detail. Um, I had I still had no inkling that he wasn't my dad. So for me, it was a gut punch and I also felt so relieved like Connie was saying in the same moment, I felt so much relief because I wasn't his and all, all this time I was trying to fit into a box that wasn't, I I didn't fit into. And now I know why. And that made me feel so elated. Um, and also I understood like Connie was saying, also you go through all these moments in your life. Um, I didn't speak to him for three years in high school. I felt very sexualized at home, um, hitting puberty at a young age and it didn't feel right or good. Um, my father was very prominent in our town. Um, and I just always wanted to escape, you know, um, and as soon as I turned 18, I did. I joined the Israeli army right out of high school. Um, and then I moved to Jamaica and then mm-hmm. I moved to, to Los Angeles. So I, um, yeah, I was out of there. <laughs>
0: Exit stage left. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, so, and he never spoke to you about it again. So it must have been a gut punch for him too.
1: I, you know, when someone's at their zero moment, when they're opening their thing, I just felt like I needed to sit with him and be with him. So I sat through Dr. Phil with him and, and every commercial break, he would say something horrible to me about things that he did. Um, you know, and, and his behaviors. And, and again, I wasn't judging my parents' relationships. I just wanted to know who my dad was and, and I didn't yet know at this point. And, um, it's a process. A lot of times you take a DNA test, you find out who you are not, you don't find out who you are. Um, and, and it takes a bit of investigating and, um, yeah, so I, I wanted answers and I wanted to know and I wanted to make sure he was okay and he would survive this and that we would get through it together and that he knew nothing between us would change. I was his caregiver for seven years and um and he's still with us. I just decided I could go, um so I did. My siblings are taking care of him now and, and he's doing okay. It's fascinating. I, I believe that he did the DNA test so he could tell me the truth.
0: Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that, Judy. It is complex. And people take these tests on a whim sometimes, you know, and they give yeah. them as Christmas presents and birthday presents, and it can really open up a can of worms. Yeah. Worms. <laughs> yeah, With a capital W. Yeah. Uh, Connie, what was your story like? Why did you take the DNA test?
2: I didn't take the DNA test. Uh, I just kept asking all through different stages of my life. I kept asking my family and, and um, my siblings joked about it. My half siblings, I can now say, they joked about it because I would bring it up all the time. And I would say, uh, um, one time my dad and I were just sitting out in our our garage and I said, so are you my dad? As casual as that. And he said, What you don't know doesn't hurt you. And I said, Was I a mistake? And he said, Everybody was a mistake. And so I put that off as okay and whatever. And then, uh, young 20, I said to him, Oh, come on. Do you, you see the difference? I am nothing like the rest of you. And are you my dad? And he said, Of course. And that put an end to it. But it didn't put an end to it to me because it just felt like we were opposites. And my dad and I did not uh, get along at all. We did not. He would take every opportunity to uh, tell me that I thought I was better than the rest of them. that that uh, because they hadn't even finished, any people in my family hadn't finished grade eight, that when I wanted to, honestly, when I wanted to uh, get a university education, my dad had said, just be like the rest of us. And I said no, I, I can't tolerate that. So uh then, you know, as as an adult, I would make jokes with it. And then my dad passed away, and we came home and I my with my mom and I sat her down in the kitchen and I said, listen, dad's gone now, and it, it, was he my dad? And she said, of course, I know that's bothered you your whole life, but of course. It was done i said i'm going to take some hair from one of his hairbrushes before you dispose of his things and i'm going to do the test because i don't believe it and she said just believe it and let it go and then uh a few months passed to ago i was visiting my mom and my mom has dementia but she's also not mentally well it's not to do with the disease she's never been mentally stable And uh, she got a little bit mad at me in a childlike way that I was leaving her town and coming back to where I live. And she just blurted it out. She said, there's something you need to know. Dad is not your dad. And I said, I know. I know that. And it took you a long time to tell me. Why did you tell me now? And very lucid for the first time, she said, if I would have told you as a kid, it would have caused a big problem with dad. So that's when I knew he didn't know. If I had told you as a teen, it would have caused bigger problems because you didn't get along. If I had told you when you were an adult and he was, you know, you I was his caregiver as well. I was the only one he trusted and he would not trust my half siblings. He only trusted me. And she said, you were were getting along so well, I didn't want to tell you. But now that he's gone, nobody gets hurt. Mm. So I'm telling you now and I don't want to uh, die or I don't want to get uh, to a different state in my in my illness that I can't remember to tell you. And I think you should know. And actually, it's the only piece I had with her about the whole thing, because uh, I said, how many other lies have you told me? And she said, I've never lied to you. I said, that's a really big lie you kept for 63 years, except I understand why. But I, I think that she robbed me of um, medical awareness because um, my biological father uh, died of pancreatic cancer, and I had a, a similar scare about six years ago. And so uh, at the time, uh, I said, like I had my dad was very ill as well, but none of those things hit. I think. It wouldn't have prevented me from having it, but I would have been able to inform my doctors a little bit more accurately. So that was something that I thought that she had robbed me of. Plus, they were a great family. And like I said, it was my best friend. And thinking back, I've got a whole slew of half-siblings that I played with. So I didn't have any respect for my biological dad because uh, he knew. He knew that, unless he didn't, but, you know, you have an affair with somebody and then she's pregnant. I, I thought, although he was she was married, so, I mean, it could have been all just naively going along with it. But uh, that's how I found out, is she told me, and I feel like sometimes that she, did she tell me for the right reasons, or did she tell me because with her illness, it was a childlike response to, I'm mad that you're going back to where you prefer to live. And I want to hurt you mm. because I did. I, I told her the information you gave me did not hurt me. It uh, solved a puzzle and it has made me feel liberated from all of the dysfunctional people that I left behind so many times. And so you haven't hurt me. You've saved me. And there was a moment when she didn't like that. She she uh, every time she would call me, she'd want to talk about it and go over how hard it was for her all these years. And in a very selfish way, uh, making me say, don't worry about it, it's fine. And I stopped myself from doing that. And I even said to her, I'm not going to any longer tell you how fine it is and how don't worry about it. And I'm, you know, I forgive you all those things. I'm not having this conversation anymore with you. You told me I think for the wrong reasons.
0: Wow, that's a pretty powerful story. And I'm overwhelmed with how much you two have in common. Like it's a it's a lot that's in common. So you talked a little bit about uh how you felt finding out. Uh what did you do after you had the information? Did you uh pursue anything different as a result of it, or was it just cleaning up some family relationships? Like how did you proceed with that information?
2: Yeah, my mom told me that um, the wife of my biological father didn't know, but I guess a sister-in-law did, and it's still my hometown. I went to school there for years. So I called my best friend, and I said, can you ask your mom about some stuff? I said, "That's I'm going to use her as the DNA test because small town she would know. And, of course, my friend is the same age, said, oh, this can't be real. I said, but just can you call your mom, ask her if she knows any backstory about me. She called me back within an hour, and she said, as soon as I said, Connie's called me, and she has this uh, news that her mom gave her, um, and she said, her mom said, oh, she's finally found out. I can't believe it took, I don't want to say my mom's name, mm-hmm. I can't believe it took, her this long to tell her, and she said then I knew it was true. And she told the whole story about how uh, my grandmother on that side, on the biological father's side, actually knew, and they they all just swept it under and uh, let me be accepted. So then I called a, a few close friends, and I wanted to throw it at them because I'm sure Judy did the same thing. You want to see a face, and you want to see a reaction on somebody. You want to see are they horrified? What what reaction do you get when you tell the story? So I called three of my closest friends and I told them, and they said, "You know, you never fit in with that family. Your family treated you poorly. You must be liberated." And they they all understood how it gave me a, a different perspective of life.
1: Yeah, it's wow. so fascinating. I am um, for me, I had been my dad's POA. I set up his twenty three and me. Mm-hmm. I I mailed out his sample. So it was like nine o'clock at night. We go to bed early. I was just checking um to see if they got, if they received his package or not so that I could tell him in the morning because I knew he would ask first thing. Um So I just was looking at it to see if they received it. And it said that it was in and and the list came up and I'm not on the list. So I found out um and I was sitting next to my husband who I've known since I was 10 and my parents were sort of the parents in our community that we always had five people on my floor growing up. Like there was always anyone who's having a hard time would always come to my house for comfort and, and sort of um help from my parents. And, and so my husband grew up thinking of my parents as a certain kind of partnership and he had a panic attack. So within 10 seconds of me finding out and telling him I'm taking care of my husband, who's having a panic attack, um, and wow. I had to go get him medication and make sure he was breathing. And that's what it felt like every time I told somebody, the um, reactions are so mammoth um, and they take it out on you. So I called my sister and I told her and my brother came over and, you know, everyone gets mad and happy it's it's for me it's a lot like the feelings of grief except for there's this whole piece about deception in there and being lied to and and just the deceit is the part that that eats away um but I also felt so happy that that I wasn't all of theirs which was very interesting I had this guilt about it and this relief about it um and then um I called, um, there was a person who worked with my dad and my sister who passed, who became the surgeon general of the United States. And, and I didn't know him personally, but he trained my sister on how to be a medevac nurse and she was killed in a medevac crash. And Mm. he went to go get her when she passed. And, um, and I felt like he would know someone, um, that that could help me understand my DNA. And so I reached out to him, Dr. Richard Carmona, um, not knowing if I'd ever hear back, just like searching for answers and information. And, and I knew the foundation he worked for and I put his name in front of it and he responded and he called me. And by the end of that conversation, he asked if he could be my business partner. Um, because I, I was so determined to help other people through this. I was so determined to not have anybody feeling the way I was feeling in that moment Um, because half of my life has been spent in, in healthcare and helping people heal through trauma. And um I had gone to school for all these things and I didn't really know why, because I was also in film and television and it finally all kind of snapped in and made sense. And I just felt mission driven Um, that I wanted to be, support. And I didn't know how, but I I knew I wanted to be a support for people who have identity level trauma is what I call it. So now I'm partnered with him. And, and the second person really in media that I spoke to about it was Oprah, um,
0: interviewed me about it. Um, the Oprah, let's just get this. Let's just make sure we know who we're talking about.
1: It still doesn't feel real, but as yeah. if
0: the surgeon general wasn't impressive enough. Now we have Oprah in the house.
1: <laughs> well, it's just the way it happened, you yeah. know, and, and it's just the way it went. And, um, and she's had a DNA surprise. She has two sisters, um, with the same name. And she was telling me about her DNA surprise. And can you imagine doing blood work and finding out you're Oprah's sister? I mean,
0: no, who- I cannot.
1: But it just made me also realize and deepen my understanding of this happens to so many people around the world. And now we're estimating we're at 56 million. 56 million people who've had a surprise? Since 2019 because of COVID. And now there's nine at-home kits and people are just taking the test and not really, you know, considering it. Some, not all. all, some people are really searching and some people are just taking it because it can be fascinating to find out your heritage and more about your health history, you know. But I also felt very, um I felt like it was very important to know what went on medically. Also with my biological dad who had diabetes, lost an eye, had breast cancer. I didn't even know men could have breast cancer and I worked in health and healthcare. <laughs> I mean, it just there was so much about his health history that's vital for me to have Mm -hmm. longevity. And I'm and I'm grateful that I know this now, you know, and and trying to figure it out with Dr. Carmona and see how we can support people through this and and try and be of help, you know, try and be a support.
0: Wow. You know at what I, I know I've said, wow, like I must have said, wow, a dozen times on today's episode. <laughs> I, I just like there's such an extreme contrast of emotions going on here because uh, there is this sense of relief and some uh, elation on the one hand that a, that a lifelong hunch and mystery has been solved to some extent. And then there's all this other stuff because of deception and because of people you love and, and, uh, Oh, and, but, and uh, the surprise of it all. Sorry, Connie.
2: But I, I believe that uh, I can understand the deception and, and, and I'm looking to put it to sleep. I'm looking to, I have the answer. I'm done with it. I move on with a better sense of self and uh I I don't want to make this my life. I won't, I, I think it is a a question answered. And so, um, I, I have an experience though, when I told my two daughters, because they needed to know. Right. So I told, uh, the youngest one and she was like, wow, crazy. (laughs) And then I told my oldest one and she was uh, a little bit angry. And uh, some of that anger came at me, but she was rational enough to realize that didn't make any sense. And then she grieved it. And uh, again, don't, I'm fine with it. And then she did the uh, DNA testing and it came back my biological family. And I think there was an element that she wondered if I was being tricked because of my mom's unwellness. She thought maybe I was being pushed aside more with another
0: lie, well, yeah. you've both really made it clear it's complex. It's, so it is complex it's so complex, and you know you have decisions to make as a result of finding this information out, and it may not be uh fun <laughs> well, <laughs> like I- it may, there may be a little bit of fun um but i uh, we've also been dealing with something in my family. My father was adopted, and we've recently uh cracked part of the story. Uh, with his mother's side, and I will be talking about that in a future episode but um it's very interesting when you think about now that I have this information, what will i do and and i I would love to hear you give a top piece of advice or two to somebody who gets a DNA surprise like this
1: uh, for me it's it's what do you want to do next and and how you know. To take care of yourself is the most important thing. I think when you have a discovery, when you find out you need time to yourself and you need to eat and you need to drink water and you need to sleep and you need to take care of yourself, basic, basic self-care, because a lot of people I've met now, hundreds of people that have gone through this and the tailspin can be devastating. There's a suicide rate. There's um, a murder rate. Uh, people killing their spouses over it. There's, you know, there's a lot of identity level trauma with it. Um, so I just want to make sure people are okay. Mm-hmm. And if they are having conversations, like telling the way I told my dad or the way I had to, you know, the way I chose to tell my new to me siblings, um, after I found out who they were, there's language that can be of use and helpful that is positive and loving um versus shame driven and negative um and I find that to be helpful so I just think people need to take a breath and and think it through because when you're telling someone about this relationship that they they assumed was one thing you're changing the image that they've had of these people their entire lives up to this point and that's tender so just to kind of move
0: through with care Hmm, that's great advice. Do you have any recommendations of a, of a resource or a website? Or I know that you do work in this area right now too. So how can somebody get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. So now it's been a couple of years in that I'm working with Dr. Carmona and we're doing a podcast and we're doing a TV show. We're doing an eight episode show, um, about it. And yeah, um, they can come talk to us, uh, truth seeker wellness. Um, they can come to our private, we have a private group. Nobody's selling anything there. It's just a place to be and heal and vent and talk, um, to other people who've gone through it. And that's Truth Seeker, a DNA journey. And that's on Facebook.
0: Thank you. And Connie, how about you? Do you have any, uh, tip or, or advice for somebody pursuing this kind of discovery? Maybe.
2: If this discovery comes to you, uh, it depends on how it came to you. If you sought it out, then you probably have a plan already. If you uh, were just given this information, again, I was given it in a vindictive way. So I chose to make peace with it and to uh, end it and to go on living peacefully, knowing who I am. And that's really, uh, that might be somebody's avenue. That might be the way that some people if you had a hunch your whole life and you almost leaned towards, can this please be true? And then you were given that I saw it as a gift and whatever way it was delivered. I saw it as a way of making peace. And then I've gone on.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing ladies. What a, what an interesting topic. And, you know, I really find I had somebody on, uh, in an earlier, much earlier episode. Actually, I had two people on earlier episodes that I'll put in the links that were related to this topic, not exactly the same. Um, But one of them was episode 82, Midlife Reflections on Adoption and Assisted Reproduction. And the expert in to speak about that was talking about how, you know, between Facebook and these DNA places, it's, People have been looking for 50, 60 years. And a lot of yeah. times he told, it tells a story where like an eight or 10 year old kid figured it out on Facebook. Right. So it's, it's much more accessible than ever before. And, um, and yeah, just be careful. That's what I would say. There's a lot of, it's like, it's powerful stuff out there that you can access, but you want to be very thoughtful and careful as you make these decisions. Any last words? I just, well, just want to
2: say that when, uh, all these times when I would, you know, sit at the staff room table and joke about, that's it. I'm going to do the test this week. And, you know, said I would say to a sibling or I'd say to one of my daughters, that's it. This week I'm doing that test. It would always come into my head, but be careful what you find out and what <laughs> is it going to change? So I, I was going to do this test all through the life of my life and know what is it going to change? And, and maybe I have a very uh, laissez-faire attitude towards it, but what would it have changed? And you know, my biological dad didn't acknowledge me. Uh, my biological family actually, one of them said, "Don't tell, don't tell his kids because why, why on earth their lives?" And so again, I was rejected from them. So I looked at it as I was rejected by my biological family and don't, don't ruin it for them. Don't ruin the image of their dad because he's gone. And then my own family with this rejection. So, I mean, I'm estranged from my family and it is because of um the differences, the huge differences.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I'm, so be careful. Yeah. And Judy, last word. I
1: was just going to say, I'm very close with both families. I just now understand better why we think so differently. And I'm grateful that I've now met and I'm close with my new to me brothers. I have one brother who still doesn't want to meet yet. I'm okay with that. Um I'm very much at peace with my mom's decision to not tell me I get exactly why she did it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's it's made my life so much better. And, and I know that it's now my soul's purpose and my mission is to help people through this because I keep finding people, um, who are having such a hard time. And I did in the beginning as well. And, um, I just want to do something about it. So, um, but I'm, I'm grateful to have the knowledge and I'm, it's never, it's never simple, but it can be beautiful outcome. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much. You know, usually we laugh a lot on these episodes today, not so much,
2: <laughs> not so much because uh like we both have we both have a feeling of being uh, information we needed, yeah, but it also does unearth a lot of rejection mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for sharing, for being Thank so for honest to, and the
2: space to share
0: authentic. It's really important to hear your experience, to learn from it. And it will also help listeners support other people who are going through it. Um, there's just so much to it. So I will include all of the links in the show notes. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye, everybody. Okay, that is it for this episode. Family secrets like this are a lot to get your head around. It's a lifelong deception about something that is core to your identity. By hearing these stories today, your appreciation for the ripple effect of finally knowing the truth kind of gets bigger and bigger, (laughs) the more you think about it and realize all of the connections. So when it comes to the bigger picture in midlife, it's important to think about living intentionally so you don't have regrets. So what does that mean in this kind of a situation? Well, you'll likely benefit from having a clear understanding of why you're looking for more information and what you want from pursuing it. Are you really clear about what you want to do and why you want to do it? Very important to think that through. You may even want to listen to this episode again because, as I mentioned earlier, it's a lot to get your head around. Thinking about the experiences shared today gives you a broader perspective to consider in your own situation. And you'll also be in a better position to provide support to those you may know who are going through their own genealogical puzzles themselves. Now, as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. I can help you create the success you're looking for. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together. It's totally possible to feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free chapter. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free, no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. And if you want to have a book club experience, but with this podcast instead, I mean, who doesn't like that? Join the Women in the Middle podcast club by heading over to susyrosenstein.com and click on the podcast club button. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click on the podcast tab and look for episode 332. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.